Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The island nation of Samoa is a long way from here, but their people's struggle to free themselves from colonial rule has parallels with Native people in this country. Samoa is celebrating 60 years of independence this month. We're taking the opportunity to learn about the people and their culture and their decades-long effort to take control of their own governance and revive their language and traditions. We'll join in the celebration of Samoan independence coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Celebration, the every other year gathering of indigenous people in southeast Alaska, kicked off Wednesday in Juneau. Through Saturday, Clinket, Haida, and Simshian people will participate in dances, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. This year's theme is celebrating 10,000 years of cultural survival. See Alaska Heritage Institute President Rosita Worrell says the theme recognizes the many environmental, colonial, and more recently pandemic-related challenges they faced. We knew that we were going to survive that. And uh, I, I know our people suffered uh, highly from it, but we still had the strong belief that we were going to survive. And sure enough, here we are, you know, 10,000 and one year later, and we're still here and, and prospering. Indigenous people were disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 in Alaska, accounting for nearly a third of the deaths from the virus. That included many elders and some of the last remaining native speakers for several languages. Hune Lance Twitchell says more action is needed at the state level to help preserve native languages. There's probably 19 languages that are still going right now. And I think in about 10 years, it'll be down to maybe 10 unless we do something. Events began with the dedication of the Institute's new arts campus. Roll says the facility will host classes aimed at preserving cultural practices and serve as the focal point of Northwest Coast Arts. We've already had basket training classes there. Uh, we've had Tana training classes there. We've also had the uh, big box drum training. So it, it's not even formally open, but our people are so anxious to use it that they've run in there and pushed things aside. And we've already had these three classes, and that's just the beginning. There's also a new 360-degree totem pole. Worrell says it's the first of its kind in Alaska and represents the cultural values of the three main indigenous groups of southeast Alaska. The Pachanga Resort Casino in Temecula, California, is bringing cast and crew of the Peacock series Rutherford Falls to its casino Thursday. The event is for the Native community with a focus on Native youth. More than 100 Native young people from across Southern California are expected to attend. They'll be able to walk the red carpet and see a sneak peek of episodes before the new season premieres next week. Youth will also hear from actors, directors, and writers. Pachanga Tribal Chairman Mark McCarr says the event gives young people an opportunity to learn about the television and film industry. To be able to engage cast and crew members you know, on both sides of the camera and talk about career opportunities. Rutherford Falls, a comedy about two friends, features Native actors, writers, and producers. Macaro says Native representation matters. It really begins to, to shape and craft a narrative that is more in line with how I believe Indian tribes think 
center should be when you're talking about Indian people, Indian communities and tribes across the country. The second season of Rutherford Falls premieres on June 16th. This week, the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa Indians in Minnesota celebrated the return of reservation land. The band purchased more than 28,000 acres from the Conservation Fund. According to the band, it's the largest restoration of its reservation since the allotment era. The land was taken by the federal government more than 100 years ago and sold to timber companies and homesteaders. Plans are underway for the band to manage and conserve the land while balancing economic and cultural benefits for the band and its members. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Indian Loan Guarantee and Insurance Program has worked with lenders for almost 50 years, supporting them as they support you. Need startup funds or a refinance? Information at bia.gov dci, which supports this show. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. This month, citizens of the Pacific Island nation of Samoa mark 60 years of self-rule. Gaining their independence from New Zealand came after decades of mostly peaceful resistance by indigenous Samoans. Prior to New Zealand's colonization, Samoa was also occupied by Great Britain, Germany, and the Netherlands, a history of colonization going back more than 300 years. Independence gave Samoans more control over their own economy, including tourism and agricultural exports, and the ability to ensure the continued use of their language and cultural practices. Samoans hung on to their traditions despite efforts by outsiders to westernize the country. Once known as Western Samoa, it is among a collection of islands that includes American Samoa, which shares cultural and linguistic ties. Coming up, we'll hear about the independence movement and its parallels to Native American history. If you'd like to chime in on today's conversation, you can do that by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Brian Alofaituli is our first guest on the show today. He is speaking with us in Los Angeles, California, where he is visiting family. Dr. Alofaituli is a senior lecturer in the Archaeology and Cultural Heritage Division at the Center for Samoan Studies at the National University of Samoa. He is Samoan. Brian, welcome to Native America Calling. Uh, thank you for having me, Sean. Good afternoon. Well, good afternoon to you as well. And Brian, first off, I want to acknowledge and congratulate the people of Samoa on 60 years of self-rule. What's the mood like back on the islands? Um, with the celebration of the 60th anniversary of independence. Um, the mood is pretty, um, everyone's in a good mood, actually. Um, 
since 1962, Samoa has uh, gained its independence, and um, we, the Prime Minister Fiume Mataafa, has uh, allocated the entire year of one year of celebration of the 60th anniversary. So uh, everyone's uh, pretty happy. Everyone's excited, uh, exuberant about uh, being independent. Um, it just, um, it just. People, a lot of people who are of age who were alive during the 1962 raising of the flag, which is majority, quite a few people are are reminiscing about the, that particular time frame and how they have gained independence. And tell us a little bit more about some of the festivities and events that are going to coincide this 60-year anniversary. What do you have planned there? Well. I'm here in Los Angeles visiting my mom, but from what I've read and from what I've heard, um, being a part of the National University of Samoa, we are part of the government as well. And so uh, not only is June 1st um, a holiday uh, to commemorate the independence, but there's festivities of uh, dances and songs, traditional uh, preparations by villages. Um, and this will be an ongoing event that will be going on for an entire year. Uh, we've also had uh, messages of congratulations from the Eastern Islands of American Samoa. And so there will be collaborations of uh, an entire year uh, festivities, um, um, uh, rugby tournaments, and so on and so forth. Well, it sounds really exciting, Brian. And what is the, the population of Samoa? The Western Islands of Samoa, the Independence Day of Samoa, is approximately 200,000 as the Eastern Islands are approximately 55,000. Okay. And can you describe the country of Samoa? What does the landscape look like? Um, the islands of Samoa, uh, it is comprised of approximately around seven, eight main islands. Uh, from the Eastern Islands, you have Manuatele, and then to the West, you have Tutuila Island. Um, these are the main uh, islands of um of Samoa and then down of American Samoa. And then moving to the west, you have Upolu um, Savai, and in between, you have Apolima Manono. Um, the western islands of Samoa, it's more, um, uh, it's more flat um, as opposed to the American islands, uh, American Samoa islands, where it's more mountainous. Um, mm. A lot of crops are grown, taro, uh, bananas, and so that's also one of the reasons why the political or colonial powers are interested in these islands based off of its landscape and based off of uh, economic as well as political um, purposes. Okay. And I'm, I want to ask you more about that interest in Europeans and, and the settling that, that occurred. But before I do, the islands of Samoa, are they all inhabited? Uh, yes. All the islands are inhabited. Um Samoan is the main language. It is based off of a chiefly system, um, the Matai system, the Ali'i to Lafale system uh, within Samoa. Uh, this particular chiefly system fits within the village um, system where um, families and as well as extended families all have a chief or Matai that they are part of within the village systems. But interestingly, all the islands are all interconnected with family. Um, connections uh, called the Falupenga, 
which is the honorifics. So regardless of where you're from, you can always link yourself to another Samoan. And the largest of the islands there, uh, about how big are they in terms of like just traveling from one side of the island to the other? Well, in American Samoa, you can it, it'll take approximately an hour um, to get from one end to the eastern to the western, or vice versa. Um, the Upolu Island, um, which is the western islands of Samoa, that would take you in one day as well, as similar to the Savai Islands. So the islands, um, I wouldn't know the, I don't know the um, the actual sizes of the islands, but they, you can travel the islands within a day. Okay. Well, it's, it just sounds like a beautiful place. And uh, I, I imagine the beaches are probably just amazing, right? Oh, yeah. The, the beaches are amazing. Um, and interestingly, the beaches are not uh, public-owned. They're all family or village-owned. So every beach, and it's well-kept within the protocols within each village. And so uh, there's a lot of tapu or taboos based off of what um, rules and laws are. Um, that govern these particular beaches, and they are maintained, and so they're extremely, they're very beautiful. Uh huh. And do a lot of tourists visit Samoa? Oh yeah, um, the Western Islands uh, cater mostly to New Zealand and Australia because it's a Commonwealth country, um, as opposed to the American Island, American Samoa Islands cater mostly to the United States. But tourism in the because the uh, the American Samoa Islands are very mountainous, um, there are excellent beaches, but it lacks space for the building of tourism. Um, so the Western Islands, um, there are more tourist uh, sites, there are more uh, resorts. Um, the flatland also helps um, to build these particular resorts, and yeah, we have a. Uh, high population from New Zealand and Australia, um, and many of the um, British Commonwealth countries visiting the Western Islands as tourists. I see. And, and let's talk a little bit about the history, and when did the first contact with European settlers occur? 1830 um, is the, the first contact with um, a group of uh, Europeans, I should uh, mention. There have always been beachcombers, um, individuals who have uh, jumped ship or who have uh, landed within Samoa prior to 1830, but these were just basically individuals who would marry within Samoa society. But the London Missionary Society in 1830 was the first um, European group of men to um, make contact in Samoa. And that initial contact, what was the nature of, of that initial contact? Was it was it friendly? Oh, definitely. It was friendly. Well, uh, the London Mission Society had always had already been established in Tahiti. Um, it had made contact in Tonga. Unfortunately, it wasn't successful. It also made contact in other islands of the Pacific. Um, American or the Samoan Islands, um, um, did make contact, or John Williams, I should say, with the London Mission Society, made contact with Samoans in 1830. Um, 30, 35 years after London Mission Society was already in the area. Um, but the contact was basically uh, friendly. Um, Samoan, some Samoans have already been exposed to Christianity through Tonga, with, through the Wesleyan Church. And so um, the gospel hadn't already um, been around the entire island, but 
some people were already exposed. And, and the first contact, as many Samoans, we commemorate this contact in August of every year, or the arrival of the gospel, is, uh, was a, it was a good contact for Samoans. Okay. And um, moving forward, did that relationship, the settlers, the Europeans, did um, at some point it, it took a turn uh, to a not-so-good relationship, right? Can you talk about when that occurred? Well, the British, through the London Mission Society, arrived in 1830, and not too long after 1830, they established themselves there um, um, to because the British are already there through the, the church. Um, the Germans arrived around 1857, um, and the United States arrived around 19, 1869, around that time frame. Um, during this particular time, the Germans were mostly interested in the Western Islands because of those flatlands. They were basically interested in a coconut empire, of, of using coconut or Oprah um, for trade. Uh, so they had economic uh, reasons of why they were in the San Juan Islands. The United States were basically only interested in the Pango Harbor to the east, um, basically to begin a uh, commercial depot for trading from coming from the United States to Hawaii and then coming down to um, the American Samoa Harbor before making its way down to Australia as well as to Asia. Okay. Uh, Brian, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to interrupt you. Uh, I'm going to let you finish your thoughts, but we do have to take a, a short break. And listeners, if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, if you've got any insights to offer our conversation today, please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be back right after break. The AMC series Dark Winds relies on an extensive native cast and crew for the suspenseful crime drama set on the Navajo Nation. The series premieres this weekend, and we'll get a preview of some behind-the-scenes secrets from some of the actors and writers on the show. That's on the next Native America Calling. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The Pacific country of Samoa is celebrating 60 years as an independent country. On the show today, we're touching on the history of the country and recounting the decades-long independence movement. If you'd like to join our conversation, call in 1-800-996-2848. Our phone lines are open. Our producers are standing by waiting for your call. We're talking with Brian Alofaituli, and he is a lecturer at the National University of Samoa. And Brian, before we went to break, you were describing both U.S. and European colonists to the Samoan Islands and their different motivations and objectives. So please pick up where you left off. Um, thank you. Yeah, uh, basically, we're talking about the, these particular objectives. Um, the British had already been, um, they set up a post in 
the Isle Samoan Islands um, to look after their um, um, London Missionary Society um, missionaries. The Germans later come in around 1857, um, as well as the United States come in around um, 1869. Um, at this particular time, all these uh, the European um, um, interests, as well as America, were basically either economic or they were strategic for the building of the objectives of their empires. Um, during this particular time with the United States, in now involved in the politics of Samoa at this time, uh, during this time, I should, I should note that even though the gospel arrived in 1830, and even though it was well accepted, um, there were civil wars happening in between this particular time, mainly the Ainga Satupua and Ainga Samarifua. These are the main two families within Samoa, and they were vying for power within um, this particular time frame. And also with this, the, many of the Europeans and Americans took advantage of these wars, uh, not only to gain interest, they would back themselves with uh, a particular chief. Samoa uses, or the Pacific Polynesia, uh, many missionaries as well as um, colonists would always use the Polynesian strategy. The basic uh, Polynesian strategy is basically you would convert the high chief and everybody would follow. That was done by missionaries. That was done also within other islands. In Kamehameha, um, in Hawaii, you have Tokenbao in Fiji, you have Kinsupo also in Tonga. Um, so they were very well aware of this particular strategy, and they took advantage of that. And so the Germans would uh, fight themselves with uh, the Aingasatukwa, the Maliatoa family would side themselves with the British as well as the United States. And so the families knew that this was happening. Uh, but at this particular time, they were also interested in gaining power. Um, and so that was the, the, the political as well as the, the vibe at this particular time. However, during the 1899, uh, that was the last civil war between the two families that the, these three powers, known as the three powers, um, divided the island. And they, without any Samoan present, without any chief present, they basically divided the islands where the Germans have either economic um, priority in the Western Islands. They said, we can, we'll take over the Western Islands. The United States then gained the Eastern Islands of Tutuila Island. And the British basically relinquished all of their the claims and said, okay, we won't handle anything in American Samoa or Samoa, but what we'll do is we'll take any other colonies the Germans would have, and that's the reason why they moved to the Solomon Islands, um, leaving the Germans to occupy the Western Island and America to occupy the Eastern. Okay, so these colonizers came in and they pretty much just cut the islands in half and the United States said they will... Um, they will basically try and take control of the of the eastern side of the eastern islands, and then these European interests were there on on the western Samoan islands. And it's really interesting, Brandon, to hear you talk because uh, I can just see the parallels uh, to Native America in here in the states. Our, our tribes were often fighting amongst each other in some of these smaller, more regional conflicts uh, alongside these larger conflicts with the American government. So. Really fascinating to, to consider the history there at Samoa. And Brian, if you could, if we could click ahead, and at what point did New Zealand come to rule Samoa? 
So with the divisions of the islands, American Samoa is still considered American Samoa to this day. Um, the Western Islands, the uh, Germans occupied the uh, the Western Islands from 1900 to 1914. 1914 was the beginning of World War One, um, and that it was the time period that uh, Great Britain had asked New Zealand. New Zealand and Australia were also part of the Commonwealth. They were also New Zealand and Australia are also called the Big Brothers of the Pacific and the eyes of Great Britain in the Pacific region. And so, basically, um, as part of that call by um, by um, uh, I think it was King George the that was the time where New Zealand then came in and occupied. It was a military takeover, um, but because Germans had no military on the islands of Samoa, they, they had there was no war, so they just basically took over the islands and it transitioned from German to uh, New Zealand. Okay, fascinating. And, and Brian, I, I know you wrote your dissertation on the independence movement. So tell us when did that begin? So there are two independent movements in the Western Islands of Samoa. During the German occupation, there was the Mau Apule, Mau M A U, Mau basically meaning the opinion of Samoan. Uh, now this was a very small movement that happened with uh, from the island of Savai, uh, chiefs under the leadership of a talking chief by the name of Lawaki Namulaulu uh, Mamue. He led a basic revolt against German. Um, policies against the Samoa systems of how Samoans were governing. Uh, the Germans were changing how the, the lifestyles and traditions and cultural protocols of Samoa. And so um, this particular chief, together with his kin, um, fought against that. And unfortunately, they were exiled to Saipan at the time, which was another German colony. During New Zealand occupation, another Mao came about. Uh, but this Mao had more of a more collective um, um, support. By okay. And Brian, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, Brian. I just want to, and you're, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just real quickly. Could you tell the word Mao, how does that translate into English, if you could? So Mao is opinion. It's the Mao. It's the opinion of the Samoan people. So okay. the Mao okay. Puli is the opinion of the people of, of the island of Savai, Puli. And then okay. the Mao is also used again in during New Zealand occupation to revolt against okay. New Zealand occupation. All right. And I'm sorry, please continue with what you were describing. It's so fascinating. No. So with uh, New Zealand now in power, New Zealand basically are, it because Samoa becomes a mandate under the League of Nations at this time. And because it's under the, a mandate now the League of Nations, the New Zealand government is overseeing and changing the laws, again, similar to the Germans. So they begin to remove chiefly titles. They begin to um, uh, input uh, a lot of laws that challenge Samoanness, if you will. And then the Mao came about again. The Mao movement, the second Mao, was more collective. It wasn't supported by all chiefs of Samoa, but it had a good majority of people. And this becomes a Mao that eventually becomes illegal under New Zealand until uh, around 1936. Um, and then the Mao is, uh, is one of the main catalysts that eventually helped lead Samoas to independence in 62. Okay. Well, that was a really, <laughs> a very condensed version. You did a great job of, of, of getting us up to speed there. So the, uh, 
the independence occurred in 1962. So that was 60 years ago. And I'd like to now bring another guest into our conversation. Joining us from Anchorage, Alaska is Reverend Samuel F. Unutoa. He is an honorary board member for the Alaska Samoa Community Corporation. Reverend Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, Reverend Sam, we just heard Brian um, give us so much history, and he talked about how there are there is both uh, an American Samoa, and then there is uh, the, the nation of Samoa that we're celebrating today with 60 years of independence and self-rule. And you grew up in American Samoa. So for our listeners who might not be as familiar with the Samoan Islands, can you talk a little bit about the difference between American Samoa and the country of Samoa today in, in the present time? Um, the difference is, well, as far as, as far as the culture is concerned, there's not much difference. We are Samoans. We speak the same language. We practice the same cultures. Uh, we attend the same churches and a lot of a lot of uh times uh churches in uh independent Samoa and American Samoa uh are all under the same umbrella. So, uh some of the churches. Uh for example the Methodist Church still has its headquarters, the Samoan Methodist Church still has its headquarters in independent Samoa. Um the the I guess the 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 major differences would be in the uh economic and government systems even though uh we're both uh democratic countries um they practice the british or the new zealand um uh form of democracy under a prime minister and parliament and all that uh with the honorable head of state uh one of our one of the uh one of the four highest Chiefs of of the islands, uh, known as Tamaina, which are usually elected as head of state by the Parliament of of Independent Samoa, versus American Samoa is a territory of the U.S. with the U.S. government, uh, a democratic system of uh, governor and uh, and uh, the the three uh, major branches of government, uh, the executive branch of the governor and his staff, and then the uh, FONO or the legislature of American Samoa, comprising of both the uh, Senate and the uh, House of Representatives, and also the the, uh, judicial system, and also the monetary system. We use the American monetary system versus... uh, Independent Samoa has its own money, of course. Okay. And American Samoans, they're not considered U.S. citizens, or are they? Uh, they are considered U.S. nationals. Um, U.S. nationals. Yeah. Um, in the, in the, in, uh, when, when issuing U.S. passports to American Samoans, uh, born in American Samoa, they, in the passport it states the bearer is not a U.S. citizen but a U.S. national. Um, 
we've we're still de- trying to determine the differences and and whether we want to become full net, full citizens or not i believe that the majority of american samoans want to maintain the status quo because of our land laws and our matai system or our chiefly system as the uh, doctor before had had spoken about Okay. And as U.S. nationals, uh, American or people in American Samoa, they are eligible for for the U.S. military. And, and I understand uh, a, a lot of uh, young Samoan people enlist in the in the U.S. military. Why do you think that is? Um, I enlisted in the U.S. Army when uh, when I was eighteen. Um, passed the ASVAB test. There's a high recruitment of 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 young people from American Samoa by by military recruiters, not just U.S. Army, but all branches of the military, including Coast Guard, Marines, Air Force, Navy, and the Army. And um, I believe one of the reasons is because we're remote and there's not much uh, job opportunities or career opportunities on island. So it's a, it's a ripe area for young people uh, or for the military to recruit young people or, or, or young minds to join the military. Our school system is the same as the American school system. So um, so it works out well for, for the ASVAB test and all that. And majority of the students that take the ASVAB test pass it. Um, to be honest, for me, it was a way off the rock. I took the ASVAB test, I passed it, I, I joined the Army, and it was a way for me to get off the rock, get out of the islands, and venture out into the world. And I did get to see the world at a young age, eight years serving in the U.S. Army, and then uh, moved on from there. Wow. And, and when did you come to uh, to settle there in Alaska? Oh, I, I just recently uh came up here to Alaska a couple of months ago um, because I have adult children up here who have settled up here and uh, it was time to visit them and my grandchildren up here and I've been a bit curious why move to Alaska what's in Alaska so here I am <laughs> <That's really laughs> well Reverend Sam your father he was a chief in American Samoa can you talk a little bit about that yeah, my father is a high-talking chief, but he was also the first um, from our village of Aua in the Bay Area, Pango Pango, to, um, to come up to the states, Humboldt State University in Eureka, California, and got a bachelor's degree in, in biology and in education. So... Um, so and then he he we went this is where he met my mom which was my mother which is a, a caucasian and moved back to the islands and uh and worked for the church education system there the lms the london missionary society church education system which of course uh, the churches established education down there before the public school system was developed by the the U.S. naval government when they when they took over in 1900. So, uh, but he was a talking high talking chief for his dad, 
and which is my grandfather, who was the high chief or the landlord, uh, sort of, if in comparison, who was uh, who was overseer of our lands, the communal lands, and that and high chief, my grandfather, high chief Solomon Lua or Sal, and then also uh, he was also a talking chief for Paramount Chief Umutua, which is the highest chief in the in that county of the Bay Area with the villages of Okay, well just a really, really rich family history that you're sharing, Reverend Sam. Thank you again for all this background information. Listeners, 1-800-996-2848. That is the number to call for our show today. If you want to ask a question about Samoa, if you have a comment to share, We've got our phone lines open. Give us a call. You're listening to Native America Calling, and we'll be back right after this short break. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Still time to get in on our conversation about Samoan independence. Call in at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And we actually have a caller on the line right now. We have Alyssa Pita listening in Seattle, Washington, online. Hello, you're on the on, on the air. Thanks for calling in. Tala Salava. Um... Thank you for having me on the radio and connecting through this program. We are so happy you um, gave the opportunity to our Samoan community to share on, you know, on the air so that others can learn and also, um, you know, understand who we are as a community here in the States. Yes, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you have a, a question for one of our guests today or, or another comment at all? Well, um, you know, anything with Sambo, I'm always um, interested to know more. Um, I just got on and I'm hearing um, some great, you know, um, sharing by Brother Umstua as well as, um, you know, our colleagues on the on the program. So um, it's just the connection that we have as a community here as we live outside of the island. Uh, my husband is also related to the Unutoas in Aua, and um, I'm sure um, a lot of the family members are spread around the um, outside of the island where a lot of our children are disconnected as well. So we try our best as um as 
as community members, as as stewards of our 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 culture and our language to connect. So I wanted to share more about about that, mainly because um, I've been working on projects um, which involves our Samoan community in the state of Hawaii. Um, I'm the current executive director and founder of Lesituau Samoan Language Center, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization in the state of Hawaii. We started back in 2008, and currently right now, we still continue our our Samoan language education programs um, throughout the, the island, which is now serving outside children uh, with language education online. And, you know, we are a service provider, currently a service provider for um, the Hawaii Department of Education, which is another step um, forward with our mission and our goals and objectives. So I am just, I, I wanted to share that, you know, I think the importance of what is being shared during this time with the 60th um, year celebration in the independent nation of Samoa is an important stepping stone for a lot of our people. Um, even when it comes to commemorating our, you know, the flag raising in in American Samoa territory, it's, it, you know, a lot of these celebrations, we carry okay. it with um, in our hearts. So it's, you know, I, I feel that a lot of what we do outside of the island, you know, we need to practice with our culture and our language at the same time. Keep the okay. momentum Alyssa, going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Alyssa, Peter, thank you for calling in and sharing all that information and especially what you talked about with the online uh, Samoan language revitalization. And uh, you mentioned uh, being related to the Unatoa family, and we actually have another Unatoa family member on our show today. So let's go ahead and introduce her. Also joining us from Anchorage, Alaska is Maddie Unatoa, and she is Reverend Sam's daughter, and she is also the CEO and president of the Alaska Samoa Community Corporation. Maddie, thank you for your patience and, and being on the show. Oh, no, you're most welcome. <laughs> you're very <laughs> welcome. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be on here and to be featured and to be asked. Um, and again, it's not a father and daughter moment for both of us. I recommended him as he is my historian for all that I do in my life and my livelihood. The, the knowledge that I know is the reason why I, I referred you guys to him. And um, I apologize to my Samoan community. Is This is not, we have a thing when there's, you know, one or two more members of the family, it becomes a family thing. But this is not a family thing. My father is my um, reference <laughs> in all that I do in, our, in the culture and the knowledge that I know of my culture. I would have to always run back to dad or my father that's on the show as well as my historian for what I know and what I understand about my culture. And that's the way we were raised. And when I was asked to join in and what do I know about the mom movement, I, don't, I didn't know anything. He was my first teacher. And I know for most of my brothers and my sisters, Samoans, this is the way we were raised. 
our first teachers are our parents, and we know everything from from our parents. So sorry, and I apologize to my Samoans out there, but it's not a father family thing. We're <laughs> okay. tag teaming right now. All right. <laughs> so, okay. Well, Maddie, thanks for 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 sharing all that information, your background, and. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about your childhood and how you were raised because you lived both in Samoa and also you spent some of your childhood in American Samoa and then you spent some time here in the States as well, right? Yes, sir. Um, may I go in detail of that? <laughs> yeah, or, please um, do. We'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. Sure. I, well, since I got here in Anchorage, Alaska, since I I was 27, and everywhere I went here, introducing myself or work, everybody just went like, you cannot be a fresh off the boat type. I I introduced myself as that type of person. I'm fresh off the boat. I'm from the island. And everybody just right away, you're like, no, you cannot be all your life is from the islands and said yes of course i'm straight from american samoa so growing up i was born and raised in on the islands of tutuila um or american samoa containing manua tutuila and of course rosato all of the little islands um when i was eight years old my father had to um we say um uh sikia or he had to move to an uh, to independent state of Samoa to start a new church and of course he's a pastor so I was eight years old we moved to Samoa and we went to school there and there were what um six of us then I was the oldest I am the oldest and um yeah out of Samoa there were nine of us out of Samoa in the five years that we were there we ended up uh out of nine children same father, same mother. And while our father was pastoring there, we learned so much. And our middle school was in Samoa. So our pre-teen years with my siblings, and most of my siblings were younger at the at that age. So we moved back mm-hmm. home when I was 12, after five years. And there were nine of us, like I said. <laughs> we went over there, we were only six. And we gained like nine, I mean, three more kids. So we went back home to American Samoa. Uh, we went to high school there with um, the four of us older ones. And then we had the little ones, of course. And we ended up being a family of 12 after being nine from Samoa. But, you know, we grew up with that, and I'm the oldest. And, um, yeah, most of my life was back and forth and back home. And my yeah. first time... My first time ever in the United States leaving the islands was when I was only 14, and I was a eighth grader at Tafuna Elementary, or the home of the Blue Angels, back home in American <laughs> Samoa. And my first time ever in the United States, I had the honor to fundraise and was able to pay for my dad's fare as well to join me and taking a History Day project that was um, then Solo Solo becoming Unutoa, or my last name. I am the 17th generation um, great-granddaughter 
of Solo Solo who became a Mutua, and I won National History Day in American Samoa, island-wide, and I got to represent my island of American Samoa to Washington, D.C., to national. And I was, again, like I said, I was so proud to take my father with me as he was my primary source, my secondary source, and my source of all things. For history. Okay. And Maddie, I was very I, proud to check in there. That was my first time in the United States ever. <laughs> and 17th generation. Me. Yeah. Yeah. In the 17th generation, that's just so fascinating. So I, I am interested in learning more about uh, Samoan culture revitalization in Alaska and the lower 48. And I know you're involved. So when did you first embrace those efforts? Um, I got, I moved here with my two sons. And I moved here last summer, so we just got through our first winter here in Alaska. It's pretty amazing, though. Everybody says it's depressing, but no, it's pretty amazing. It's rapid and beautiful to see Mother Nature unveiling itself here in Alaska. So we moved here last summer, but we just got through our first year, and um, that was the desperation for myself. As a young mom, again, I'm 28, and I have two sons. And I wanted my sons to keep, you know, the values, the language that we brought with us from home. We're, we're all fluent in Samoan and in English. At the same time, I wanted my kids to be raised the same way I was. And I'm very knowledgeable in my culture and my language and everything in my traditions. But I wanted to keep them alive here wherever I go because I'm an I'm in, I'm a U.S. national. I have the same privilege as a citizen, but I just can't vote for pres- presidency. So that's my mm-hmm. understanding. So coming here to Alaska, I couldn't find home. But everywhere I go here in Alaska, you would see a Polynesian. You, I would actually have a conversation, a full Samoan, fluent conversation with another Samoan or another brethren. Any convenience store here, at Walmart, also like go to another um, Polynesian store or, 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 or a Chinatown little store where I can find my goodies from home and I'm having a full conversation with a someone or with another, you know, Polynesian person or talking about the same thing about home. We're talking about a traditional recipe in a store here in Alaska. And I kept asking myself, you know, I, and I ask everybody around. Where is home here? Is there like somewhere we can go and get the resources we need to actually help our kids to keep this alive? We as adults were raised that way from home. Our children, they go to school, it's English everywhere. That's like their first language here, but we want to keep our traditions and our culture and preserve it for our children. And especially for everybody that were born and raised here. So that desperation and looking for home started this and why I'm on the show, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's an, I just want to commend you for, for all of your hard work and, and getting um, getting so many of these programs up and going and, and all you've done to promote uh, Samoan culture and heritage uh, here in the U.S. And we are uh, winding down on time, but, but I want to bring Brian back into our conversation. And Brian, if you could, I'd like to give you the last word on our show today. And uh, again, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the 60 years of independence and tell our listeners why it is so important that we acknowledge and and celebrate this year, 2022, 
as 60 years of independence for Samoa? Okay. Uh, I think the... Um I think the main transition of how Samoa became independent, it begins in the, the end of World War II with the establishment of the United Nations and giving these um, particular rights to people. Um, through the United Nations, Samoa was able to uh, meet with New Zealand and the chiefs of Samoa, mainly the Tama'ainga, were, were able to meet with uh, New Zealand leadership um, and ask for self-government. Um, and to be um, self-sufficient, to uh, raise their own crops, and to be independent. And New Zealand, um, with the blessing of the United Nations, was able to give that to Samoa. Um, it was a difficult transition for Samoa to become, under New Zealand, into um, independent, not because of political backlash by New Zealanders. That wasn't the issue. It was basically, how do we become independent? And one of the issues that someone struggled with was fundamental rights. How do we deal with fundamental rights with the transition from a chiefly authority system where you are basically under a rule of a, a chiefs to a giving personal rights to people to make their own decisions and so on and so forth? I'm not saying that there were no uh, individual rights, but it became a Western form of fundamental rights, now becoming mixed in with Western uh, Samoan forms of uh, rights. And that became an interesting issue. And in 1961, Samoans uh, had the plebiscite. They voted um, with two questions. Do you want to become independent? And do you approve of the Constitutional Convention to approve of these fundamental rights? And uh, Samoans agreed on both. And I think it's, it's important for us as Samoans and uh, from both islands of Samoa, even though we say American Samoa or the independence of Samoa, I'm from both. But these are only political um, boundaries. However, it is only one Samoa, and traditionally. And I think that's the way we should look at it. And I think it's important to commemorate the 60th. It's not only that Samoa became the first to gain its independence in the Pacific, but it's also one of the first countries to deal with Western forms of fundamental rights with indigenous forms. And I am proud mm. to say that Samoa continues with our indigeneity in terms of chiefly authority, but we know how to mix in Christianity. We know how to mix in also other forms of Western. They say in Samoan, basically culture as well as the gospel, as well as other aspects of Western governance systems, they all run okay. together. And, okay. and Brian, I, I, I'm so sorry, Brian. I'm, I'm going to have to cut you off because we are going to have to wrap up the show. But fascinating discussion. I want to thank all of our guests today for guiding us through this history of Samoan independence and this celebration of 60 years of self-rule. Listeners, please join us again tomorrow. We'll talk with the cast and crew behind the upcoming AMC television series, Dark Winds. Until then, thanks for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. With so many organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. So AARP brings together no-charge employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, discounts, and more at aarp.org slash veterans who support this show. First baby, don't know where to start? CMS program coverage, prenatal service. Enroll today 
Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.